This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meet and 3, we find out how Brexit could be changing the way that Brits eat. If you're not getting your food from the European Union, where Britain gets 30% directly, well, where are you going to get it from? As I put very succinctly, bye-bye fresh peaches from Italy, hello tinned peaches from Florida. Bye-bye fresh oranges, hello tinned oranges. Bye-bye free-range beef, hello hormone-injected beef. Tune in to hear about the UK's struggle to stabilize its food system on Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes of Feast Your Ears can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. Today's theme, the first American Portland. When people tell me about things happening in Portland... I always think of Portland, Maine first. As a child, my family used to drive a few times a year to the mid-coast region of Maine, and we'd pass through Portland. I remember the big green signs that meant we were a little less than two hours from our destination and the freedom of summer vacation. Back then, Portland wasn't cool, and I wasn't old enough to know what cool was anyway. I visited once for a night in my 20s, but that memory's pretty foggy. As the western Portland has gotten its national attention as a food city, as a place for young people to retire, and as a meme and a comic foil... I always felt that Portland, Maine was overshadowed. In the past decade or so, that's changed. I love the grittiness and saltiness of New England, and Portland, Maine has been a city that was gritty and industrial, and old New England, and is seeing a rebirth as factories are transforming into loft apartments, breweries have opened, and the restaurant scene has gotten national attention. Right there in the middle is Tandem Coffee and Bakery. In 2012, Will and Kathleen Pratt started roasting coffee in Portland. It's fantastic coffee. Two years later, they teamed up with Brianna Holt to take over a former gas station and laundromat and start a bakery and cafe. When I was a kid, we'd blow past Portland. It was nothing more than a marker on the seven-hour car ride. Now I stop every time I pass through. They have incredible coffee at Tandem, and Brianna's making excellent sweet and savory baked goods, from pies to scones to cookies and whatever else she dreams up. We had a great chat a few weeks ago about everything from old-fashioned donuts, whoopie pies, Carly Simon, and more. Check it out. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. Yeah, thanks for thinking of me. Is it kind of, I mean, you know, it's like 10 a.m. So is it like, are you like halfway done with your day at this point as a baker? Like, <laughs> what time did you start this morning? On Tuesdays, I do office stuff. So I kind of roll in at a much more reasonable time of day. <laughs> um, and I just hang out and I do, I like answer emails or do th- stuff like, you know, this, like what we're doing yeah. or um, uh, work on, you know, like recipes or uh, scheduling stuff, you know, office admin type stuff. So. Sure. So Tuesday's a day that I don't I don't get here at four in the morning. Got it. Um, but I actually only do that a couple days a week now because we ha- I have so, I'm so staffed up. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So there's there's a whole roster of people who come in at four, and I only do it two days a week, which I love. I still it's like my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, honestly, like that's the number one thing that I like to do the most. So um, sometimes it's like a funny 
trade-off you know you start being like okay well i'm not i'm not like this person anymore (laughs) so um but i still do it two days a week which is really great oh that's great that's awesome yeah um so i mean when you are baking uh Mm -hmm. you get there at four yeah sometimes a little earlier yeah and i mean do you guys have an overnight crew or the, the the baking starts at around four we have um, one guy right now who's an, uh, we call him the night baker, but it's not, it's not overnight or anything. He's usually here until like one, okay. he gets here around like 4 PM and um, he does all these kind of like really big, like spread out kind of messy projects that we can't really do during the day while we're open and, and baking stuff for the counter and all that kind of stuff. Um, so he's cool. He, you know, makes all the giant batches of like biscuit mix and, um, you know, preps all the eggs for the breakfast sandwiches and all these like big expansive projects and stuff. Now is all of the stuff you guys are baking coming out of that kitchen that's open behind the service counter? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I've been to, I've been to the tandem, you know, uh, what, yeah. When were you here last? I, I passed through Portland about twice a year. Um, and I always oh. stop on my way through, I didn't used to, my family has a, a summer house further up, uh, near Belfast. So we always used oh, to drive cool. from New York up to up that way. And by the time yeah. you get to Portland, it's always like, Oh God, we're so close. Like we've been yeah, in the exactly. car for like five yeah, or I don't six hours stop. and you don't want to stop yeah. now uh, <laughs> that there's cool, delicious stuff in Portland. We find ourselves yeah. stopping at least for coffee and a snack. So yeah. um, nice. we've definitely been been through there. So, I mean, it cool. seems like you guys put out a lot of stuff out of a relatively small we kitchen. We do. It's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> Sometimes I can't believe it. <laughs> But we definitely do. We pump a lot out. I mean, we renovated. I don't know if you were here, if you've been here since, but um, about a year ago, we closed down for a couple of weeks and we um, redid the kitchen a little bit. So we have four uh, four ovens now instead of two, oh, which is, yes, which is really, really helpful. Um, and, you know, just kind of rearrange the kitchen a little bit. So it's gotten a little easier to pump more stuff out and we get busier every summer. Um and so it's been really that that was really helpful for this summer and we're like already looking towards this coming summer and seeing you know how much more we can do right of course yeah um so you know maine i guess you know kind of historically in the food industry has been is very much a tourist driven and summer tourism driven industry but you guys yeah. are year round how yeah. big a swing do you see between how much you have to produce say you know this week at the end of january versus like, oh, the first week yeah. of august I mean, it's a definitely a big swing. <laughs> it's a it's a really big difference in the amount of product that we're selling. Sure. But we also, at the same time, it's still a lot of work because now is the time that we take to um, like dig in and like train people on things they didn't have time to learn over the summer, or work on recipes to make them better, or work on new recipes. Um, or, you know, do like lots of kind of like nitty gritty, deep clean stuff, rearranging, like, like, you know, it's the time to like dig your heels in and get a lot of the stuff done that you can't get done in the summer when you're just kind of hanging on for dear life. Sure. Uh, it sounds, um, it sounds yeah. like the way you describe it, you have some, some staff members that aren't just seasonal though. So that seems like it's really great to have people yeah, that's... staying with you through the winter. Yeah. And we kind of like really cherish that about ourselves too we we do we have a lot of people who really stick around we don't tend to hire that many seasonal people i mean we have had a couple um positions that are really awesome and helpful in the summer that you know they don't stick around for the whole year like um you know kind of like a host runner position something like that but like in the kitchen and all the baristas and stuff we do have a have a lot of staying power 
which is nice. So, so let's talk a little bit about like, so tandem for those people who don't know, I mean, we're talking, you, you work there. I've been there. Like I have a sense of it. The people listening may not. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of tandem as a whole. I mean, I first encountered tandem as a coffee company. Um, mm-hmm. We yeah. had our retail shop in Brooklyn. We, I think, were one of the, you know, one of the few back then places outside of Maine to get Tandem's coffee. Um, yeah, I was going to say you carried it there. Yeah, and, and I, you know, and I always loved the. I mean, I've always loved the coffee. But tell me a little bit about the company. I guess, you know, as it exists now. You came in after it was started as just a coffee shop to kind of create the bakery. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. We, um, Will and Kathleen. Um, who I don't know if you if you know them or had ever met them, but are the other owners, and we have been friends for a really really long time, um, and we lived in a few of the same places, right? We all lived on Martha's Vineyard together for a while, and then um, kind of uh, lived in different places for a while. They went to San Francisco, um, where Kathleen started working at Blue Bottle, um, and then eventually uh, helmed the opening of the um, the Berry Street Blue Bottle in Brooklyn. Got it. And I also moved to Brooklyn and started working at Pies and Thighs and M. Wells and... Um, and then we all just kind of lived there and sort of slowly daydreamed about doing all these things we were doing for other people, for ourselves. Sure. Um, and I ended up moving back to Martha's Vineyard for a little while. And these guys moved here to Portland and found this amazing little building, this beautiful old brick building. Um, and it was just like too perfect. And so installed this beautiful old roaster they had um and just kind of opened the coffee company there and then uh i moved about a year later yeah about a year later uh and then we started i i worked at the coffee shop for a while as a really terrible barista (laughs) and we like wrote the business plan and i did a bunch of um recipe testing at a restaurant in brunswick um tau and so i would drive you know like bags and bags of flour and butter and all this kind of stuff down to Brunswick and borrow this um, friend's commercial kitchen and recipe test all day and then drive back in my car with all these pastries and we would just eat them out of the back of the car. Yeah. And then we opened, we opened the bakery in this awesome old uh, laundromat building, gas station laundromat. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I recommend anybody who's passing through Portland should definitely stop in to check it out. Um, I recommend that too. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's yeah. uh, it's always great. I mean, I I feel like the you know the the stuff that's in there, certainly the things you're doing, seem to be um, at first glance very classic. Um, yeah. But then I feel like you're using a lot of ingredients and in things like scones that aren't necessarily on everybody's radar. It's true. We, it's true. Sometimes we try to shove some really weird stuff in there. Um, but you are right. The backbone of them all, uh, you know, of almost all the stuff that, that we make here is definitely um, kind of rooted in classic, uh, like, American via Europe, <laughs> like butter-heavy um, scone biscuit pastry, you know, pie kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like there's a little bit of like Carolyn Bain and like Hugh in your cooking from Pies and Thighs and M. Wells? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I would say most definitely. Yeah, Carolyn is like the ultimate inspiration. 
um, just like a total badass and always knows, you know, the right way to use an ingredient and why something might not have worked. Yeah, she's amazing. We do a lot of texting. I'm always like, help me figure this thing out. <laughs> why does this thing not work? Yeah, no, she's awesome. And then Uga's just a crazy person. And so that, you know, that working with that whole crew and those guys was really wild and really opened my, I, I didn't really know much about, um, you know, like Quebecois or like Montreal style cooking or like restaurants, you know, I really just didn't know that much. And so when I started working there, it really helped me see this, um, this whole cu culture of eating and cooking that I didn't know about. Yeah. I mean, I feel like both of those places and I would almost say the same thing about tandem, um, all seem to exude a lot of self-confidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a little bit of like, um, extra, you know, like a little extra, a little too much, yeah. a little over so the top. And some experimentation and some kind of like, mm -hmm. let's, you know, throw this at the wall. And if it sticks, that's great. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. I, you know. <laughs> yep, totally. So I want to talk a little bit about, so you, you grew up in Martha's Vineyard, yep, um, which sure is, did. you know, salty New England, uh, mm -hmm. driven very much by summer people as well. Yes. In the same yeah, totally. The coast of Maine is. Um, yeah, it's very familiar way of living yeah. for me. Um, but you started, I mean, your first working in a bakery started out when you were a teenager. Yeah, my very first job. I worked at this uh, place called um, Humphreys, um, which was like a really old school bakery, you know, have been there since the 30s, um, all run, you know, run by the same family throughout the years, the Humphreys family. Um, and it was uh, the kind of place with like hermits and lemon bars and you know, like, uh, crullers, like very old fashioned, yeah. um, tons of lard, tons of like canned cherry pie filling, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, but it was just slamming in the summer, um, you know, nonstop all summer long. It was in West Tisbury, but kind of really close to the Chilmark line. And so it was a very, you know, as someone who's born and raised on the vineyard, it was very up island, like, lots of year rounders and then lots of like super rich summer people mm. who, you know, had these big, beautiful houses all like in the woods up Island. Um, so it was a good mix of just like a local bakery plus, you know, serving all these people that are only here for like a month out of the year. Um, but it was wild. I was really young and everyone that worked there was, you know, I mean, honestly, probably they were in their early twenties, but at the time they seemed much more grown up to me <laughs> Sure. and like very cool. And, you know, like coming to work hungover, like going out and partying after work. And I was like, what is this lifestyle? Like, who are these cool people? They're wearing like Grateful Dead shirts and like smoking marijuana out back. And I just like, I couldn't get enough of it. I loved it. And I just, um, I worked in the back. I made donuts and cookies and bread and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was awesome. I loved working there. Is there anything on your menu currently that is like referenced to or like influenced by <laughs> that stuff? Um, not. I don't know if I would say anything in particular, although I do have like a love of, you know, kind of like cheap ingredient, like lard based, <laughs> um, you know, like like all the cookies that we made there at that time were like very, very flat, very, very thin, very, very crispy. Yeah. Like you could really only tell the difference between the cookies because of the labels on them. Like right. you might be eating a chocolate chip cookie. You might be eating an oatmeal raisin cookie. Who knows? They were all dark brown, thin and crunchy. Sure. Um, but the big thing that 
sticks in my mind about that place is the donuts you know like the fryer was basically the size of like a full-size mattress it was huge i would fry hundreds of donuts at a time and you have these long sticks and you scoop them out on the sticks and then like dunk them in the glaze bin um and then the way you fill the donuts was really wild this like filler with these little things that these kind of like um things that poke out you shove the donuts on these things i mean it was just like really amazing and i don't every once in a while for special occasions i'll make donuts here randomly but we're trying to get donuts on the menu Mm. and so you know that does have me thinking about all the places i've worked where i've made donuts before and um and that place you know is like a pretty strong donut memory for me um the crullers were one of the most popular items and you don't see crullers like that um a lot of places anymore like really long kind of misshapen just like covered in sugar yeah if you're, if you're um, passing through Rhode Island, there's a place called Alley's Donuts in, uh, I think it's in uh, East Greenwich. What's it called? Al's? Alley's. Alley's. Oh, my God. Apostrophe S. Yes, I will definitely stop there. I am always after like a good regional donut. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. And, and they definitely are old school in that same kind of way. I mean, they have, you know, you go inside and like, you know, they're like coffee club or whatever is just like you know business cards the wall and there's like <laughs> yes, people who've been coming that. for so long that they get free coffee for the rest of their lives kind of thing oh my god yes that's perfect god we should do that yeah. that's amazing um, um how do you create new recipes for the bakery like what you know do the like do you and the staff get bored of making something and so you change it up is it driven by like we seasonal ingredients like- yeah, we definitely, there's a couple ways that I like to do it. Um, at this point now, we have a, a roster of things that work really well, that are really successful, that I really love, and that um, rely on some really nice seasonal ingredients that we get here. And so we kind of have, um, at least with some things, a gentle schedule, you know? Like, we, you know, we start making blueberry pie at a certain time, we start making uh the tequila peach pie um you know once that once i can get the peaches from my friend who has the peach farm and so there are there are definitely things that just come back every year on a cycle and then um another thing that i like to do is just kind of like brainstorm um because i've seen something that inspires me or i ate something that inspires me um you know, somewhere here in town, if I like had something really good at dinner that like blew my mind. Um, and then just kind of start like chatting about it usually at like 4am, um, uh, with, you know, like my coworker, oftentimes me and Hannah, Hannah's the kitchen manager here. And we just kind of like talk back and forth about something. Um, and then like, well, maybe like this or like this, or we could do it like this. And then we just kind of go for it and see how it tastes. Um, and make it again a couple times with a few changes and see how other people like it. Uh, so it's pretty organic, like just kind of chatting about it um, back and forth. Uh, but then other times I really just, I don't know, have some kind of like weird fever dream yeah. about something that could taste really good and everyone else might think I'm crazy. And then I just kind of like try it a few times and maybe it's really weird, um, but eventually figure out how to nail it the right way. Sure. Um, yeah, so it happens a few different ways, but we are we are so lucky that we have um, so many like awesome farms and growers and stuff that at least for the really nice like growing season here we can get such great stuff that it's you can't like I can't not make peach pie every year like the peaches we get from this farm in Albion are so good. Yeah, no, I, um, I think that Maine is one of those places that 
you know, a lot of that stuff never gets out of state. Um, yeah, And having it's spent true. a lot of time there, you know, there are incredible growers that there's a lot of places where the soil is really good, but, mm -hmm. it, but they're not producing on a large enough scale that the stuff goes Yeah, and there. they can't. Yeah. And now that everyone wants to buy it and serve it here, right? you know, like it's not going to make it out, out of state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everybody better go to Maine. That's the answer. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> there's some, yeah, there's some beautiful fruit and that's, and it's such a challenge here um to grow stuff like that like stone fruit in you know in yeah. maine it's like you have to work so hard and find the varieties that are hardy and that like the sandy soil or whatever and i just um i think it's pretty special that we get to use it This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Is there anything that people ask for that you won't put on the menu? Um, whoopie pies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, a hundred percent. It's some. Um, I don't. I actually feel like every time I have this conversation, I say to myself, I should try to learn the history of whoopie pies in Maine and why they're a thing and why everyone loves them, and then I just forget about it. Yeah. Um, but it's a thing. People want whoopie pies. Yeah. They call. They ask if we have them. Yep. Um, we've actually had two separate whoopie pie. Uh, makers come here with their business cards in their chef coats saying I make the best whoopie pie in Maine will you sell it here at your bakery <laughs> like so whoopie pies are a thing here for whatever reason maybe after this conversation I'll delve into the history and see if I can learn but we will never make them it's I'm not I'm not gonna do it yeah. See, I mean, everyone else, you can get them every you can get them at every gas station in the state of Maine so I'm I don't need to do it 100% and and they don't include yeah. I mean and then they don't include anything particularly special or specific to the locale No it's cake with with <laughs> uh with shortening based frosting in the middle Yep I don't know why it's a Maine thing it doesn't make sense to me I don't know maybe because Oh maybe I I just heard from my from my um from my my cohort here in the office, Kathleen, yeah. that it's a Pennsylvania Dutch thing. Ah, uh, there, it's an Amish thing. Oh, Maine and Pennsylvania have a whoopie pie uh, fight, a, a long-standing argument. 
I mean, also from what I understand, there's a lot. Maine has one of the fastest growing Amish populations. It's a. It's true. It's totally true. Um, I'm in talks uh, to buy their eggs. <laughs> yeah, I'm in some deep negotiation to buy cases and cases of eggs from them. Uh, awesome. How are you going to get them in Portland? Well, that's that's the thing <laughs> right. is that I would be using them already if they could deliver them to me more than once every ten days. <laughs> Sure. Um, but as it stands, I would have to buy like 30 cases of eggs at once, and we just don't have the room for that. Right. So, but we're working on it. Yeah. There's a lot of um, Amish egg farmers here. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Um, do you get a lot of celebrities coming into the bakery? Like, has Portland been discovered and like made it as a hip food city? Um, I don't know. Actually, I would say yes. Every summer, there's like a handful of celebrity sightings. Sure. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I know I don't see them. There's, I can tell you that other people might see them. Um, you know, especially if you're, if you're working the front, if you're, if you're making the coffee or at the register, you're going to get those famous people where I have my head down in like a bucket of butter. So I'm not going to see them, but I do, I mean, I do think people come here. We, so there's a ton of music in Portland, right? There's like a few different Mm -hmm. pretty big venues and we get a lot of great shows, especially in the summer. There's Thompson's point, which is outside. And so tons of acts come there. Um, and so we do have a lot of, um, musicians, uh, come through every summer. Um, so there's that for sure. And then you always hear about where they went to dinner and stuff like that. So there is that. Yeah. Um, speaking of you once cooked a dinner for Carly Simon, as I understand it. Oh my goodness. I did. What a wild time that was. How did that come about? Um, oh my God, this story is just, to me, it's really funny. I don't know if it's gonna be funny (laughs) to other people, but to me, it's just hilarious. I, when I was living on Martha's Vineyard years ago, um, I, this was, uh, I guess this was after college, but before I moved to Brooklyn, um, I got a job. I was taking a, a break from baking and I got a job working at this fancy pants, like home goods and clothing store on Martha's Vineyard uh, called Midnight Farm, which doesn't exist anymore. It was basically like a small town anthropology, mm. right? Like fancy, fancy, fancy sheets and clothes and couches and jewelry, you know, the kind of stuff that like only rich, famous Martha's Vineyard visitors could afford. Sure. And this store was uh, co-owned by Carly Simon. Got it. And so she uh, was never there, really. Every once in a while, she would pop in and lounge on a couch and people would come in and just like lose their minds. <laughs> but she was never really there, but we did sell every single one of her CDs. Um <clears throat> But so I worked there and one time my boss was saying to me, do you want to make some extra money? Carly's having a private uh, Oscar viewing party at her house this weekend for the Oscars. Um, Do you want to, do you want to cook? Like she's got a private chef that works for her all the time. Like this person will probably like do some prep for you. It'll be really easy. All you have to do is show up, like put the meal together, serve it, wash the dishes and leave. Um, and I was like, Nope. I said no immediately. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I just said straight up. No. And she asked me like five times a day for like three days. And finally I was like, Oh my God, fine. Sure. Yes, I'll do it. And I just, 
I don't know if I wish that I had stuck to my guns or if I'm glad I did it at this point, but uh, it was just insane. She lives in basically like a, a hobbit house, like a giant version of a hobbit house on Martha's Vineyard. It's all like built into the into the side of the hill and it has all these like, you know, eyebrowy little like eaves and windows and ivy growing everywhere and it's just like it it like it looks like um a Hansel and Gretel house. Wow. And I and I pulled in and got out and I couldn't get in for like twenty minutes. I like couldn't get in. I knocked on every single door of which there were like hundreds all around this giant house. And no one was answering. Every door was locked. I couldn't get in and I could hear you're not going to believe me, but I'm telling you the truth. I could hear Carly Simon's music playing at top volume from inside the house. I could hear it was like she was playing her own music on a CD or something. Oh my God. And so I was knocking and ringing doorbells, and it was like maybe like 20, 25 minutes. And finally, finally, I can hear someone coming to the door. And she uh, she comes, she opens the door, and she's wearing just, like, the flowiest, like, like 900 pieces of, like, organza just, like, flowing all around her. She's barefoot, and she has this little dog that is, like, losing its mind, so excited that there's a guest running all around, pees all over me, like, all over <laughs> my feet and ankles, and, like, all over the floor. And she thought it was just like the funniest thing in the whole wide world. She was like giggling how, oh, he likes you so much. What an honor. He's like peeing on you. And she goes and gets a paper towel and wipes her own feet and throws the paper towel away and doesn't offer me any help for the pee. None at all. It was really amazing. Um, And basically then proceeds to just like lead me to the kitchen and just kind of like float around the kitchen Um showing me like where everything is showing me the fridge showing me the stove um her kitchen is is crazy like anyone would be lucky enough to have this kitchen like it would it would be amazing to cook dinner for people in this kitchen all the time uh had like an open fireplace in it um with a giant like wrought iron grate in front of it that said um like c had her initials and then in the middle like a giant carved um g clef like it was just bonkers. <laughs> um, and the funniest thing was there was nobody there. It was just me and her and this crazy dog. And she starts telling me about the menu for the evening, which is going to be like couscous and like lamb stew and a salad. And the lamb had already been like cut and salted. And then I just was going to like brown it and like get the stew on the stove and so we're talking about that and she's talking about the couscous and the dinner starts at 8 p.m people are coming around like 7 30 for drinks and she had me get there at four and meanwhile now because it took me so long to get in it's like 4 30 4 45 and but still the dinner is not until eight and she, and she wants to serve couscous and she tells me the first thing to do to put the water on for the couscous <laughs> and i just don't know if you've ever made couscous before <laughs> But you don't need to put the water on at 5 p.m. for 8 o'clock dinner. But she insisted that I get the water started. And I tried to I tried to say I wasn't sure we needed to do that. And she said she wanted to make sure everything was ready on time. So I basically had to put water on the stove and turn it on and then just, like, keep turning it off and on and off and on <laughs> when she was looking so that she would think I was still doing it. Uh, it didn't make any sense. But Yeah, I would have been much more concerned about the stew. 
being finished yeah yeah very weird and so she kind of like showed me around got me started and then she disappeared upstairs where she proceeded to sing her own songs at top volume the entire time that i was there in the house she was just upstairs singing over and over like different songs of her own along to her cds wow i mean she has to stay in practice i guess oh my god and then so I'm just downstairs. Literally, I ended up just leaning against the counter, like looking at my telephone, like reading random cookbooks that were in the kitchen for like two hours because I just had a basically just had a lamb stew on the stove and that was it. Right. Um, <laughs> so like mercifully, 730 rolls around and people start showing up. Um, and, you know, it was like a couple people that I sort of knew from working at this shop and then a whole bunch of like Hollywood TV writers. Right. Um, I don't really remember who, <laughs> um, but I think it was the year that, um, into the wild, uh, won an Oscar or was nominated for an Oscar. Um, cause there's like an older gentleman named Hal, Hal Ashby, who's in that movie. Who's like kind of a vineyard guy. Um, and all these people were friends with him. And so it's kind of like a, like a, a support team for Hal. Um, and so once everyone starts getting there, it was my job to be like a, like a bartender. Uh, and she gave me this whole slew of alcohol, like all set up in the kitchen and set up behind a bar. Um, and had told me before people started arriving that she wanted people to be able to order whatever kind of drinks they wanted. So she had everything and she gave me a bar book, which she was flipping through and, uh, she had two giant bottles of blue curacao and was like, I just really want everyone to order tropical drinks. If you can try to get people to order <laughs> tropical drinks. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to tell people that. But so, you know, like somebody would, and she didn't leave my side. So her friends start arriving and it's just me and Carly Simon behind a bar. And they would ask for like a white wine. And she would say to them, Oh no, you simply must have like a like a blue a blue moon over Miami or whatever and like dump a bunch of blue curse out into everyone's drink. I like I've never seen anything so bizarre in all my life. Everyone was walking around with like tropical drinks that were all like blue and purple because it was all she wanted in life. I don't know if she had like just discovered blue curacao. It was crazy. And so I basically just stood next to her while she made drinks right. for all of her guests. I mean, that's not, I, it sounds like a theme party to me. I mean, I feel like it was recreate crazy. that as like a really fun. Yeah, like, it was crazy. So basically, that's pretty much all I did. And then they went they went in to view the Oscars. I served the dinner. I cleared the dishes. I served dessert. And then finally, I clean up. I go in and I said, hey, y'all, like, um, I'm gonna, you know, get out of here unless anyone needs anything. And, you know, there were like 20 people there and everybody stands up, you know, they're all really like gregarious, like dramatic folks. And they stand up and everyone starts like giving me a standing ovation, right? Like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for dinner. Thank you. Thank you. And I know that I didn't do much, but boil couscous and like basically like put lamb like in a pot and heat it. But so these people were thanking me and I was kind of like embarrassed. And then Carly Simon stands up and says, no, 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 everyone. She didn't make the dinner. She didn't make it. She just reheated. She just reheated it. The cook made it. She didn't make it. And I just kind of stood there while everyone sort of stopped clapping and sat down. And I just was like, um, okay, well, 
bye. <laughs> and then I left and, and that was it. That's, and that was like seven hours of my life that I can never get back, nor maybe would I want to, I don't know. Well, I really appreciate you taking <laughs> eight or nine minutes to share it here on Peace <laughs> It's a great story. <laughs> it was really crazy. <laughs> really just my favorite part was her singing her own songs at the top of her lungs. Well, I also really love that she totally like what what difference does it make that like they thought you made the food? Like Exactly, who like, cares? Why? I don't like, care. I didn't need the standing ovation. No, it didn't matter. It's just like, a very weird thing for her to stand up and be like, "No, no, don't clap for her." No, don't clap for her. She did nothing. <laughs> she did nothing. Oh god. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, so so you had you had mentioned before the interview um that one of your most important or favorite tools in the kitchen <laughs> is a speaker. I imagine, yeah. I imagine it doesn't often play Carly Simon, but what do you like to listen to no. in the kitchen? <laughs> um, oh, man, that's a tough question. I love music so much. I don't know. I listen to all kinds of stuff. I've been on like a real 60s, 70s songwriter kick hmm. lately. Um, I also really do love podcasts these days. I think I'm a little bit of a latecomer to the podcast craze, but I... Um, I get really into podcasts while I'm cooking. I'm sure as like tons of people do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's either, yeah, it's either music or a podcast for me if I'm alone. Um, but I, I have actually, again, I'm a latecomer to a lot of things a lot of people like, but um, the last couple of years I discovered how much I love the Grateful Dead. It's so embarrassing. I know it's like a thing that happens to everybody once they like, hit 35 or 40 i feel like i, I don't think you should be embarrassed but i will tell you i will tell you it has not happened to me oh I no a, I, I can't long, wait for it to happen to you i don't think it's going i have a long running thing with a friend of mine who like at like about 35 like was like got super and is now like so into the dead and all of the like, oh my post, god post dead like cover bands and side oh no 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 i'm not into that no 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 i draw the line can't I can't hang with any of it. I mean, I can hang. Yeah. With, I can hang with like Working Man's Dead and like that era of Dead, but I can't hang with any of the later. I saw the Dead, <laughs> the year I saw the Dead in 1995 before Jerry passed away, and like oh they were, boy, they were great musicians, but the show was one of the least fun sh shows I've ever been to. And I, I bet, I bet it. it was. It was not fun. I didn't enjoy it. Everyone else was having a great time. I just did the same thing. <laughs> you weren't on enough drugs. I, yeah. I was on some, but I, it just, it was too noodly for me. It just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. It was like, I need well, music I to do get something. That. I get that. But so, so I definitely draw the line at that kind of thing. I've, I, I have a couple of friends who are so into the dead that they can steer me in what seems like a little bit of the right direction. So I've gotten, yeah, it's mostly the older stuff and some really good live shows that are, you know, like from like, 70 69 70 71 yeah. there's some really good live shows that just they get noodly but in like this really weird way that i like yeah i mean um, I, I once bought a volkswagen bus and the tape deck came with a grateful dead tape in it and another friend <laughs> of mine was a huge deadhead i like got in one day and i just like i had the tape sitting in the glove box and i didn't show it to him i just put it in and he was like oh man He's like, is this Syracuse in 77? Oh, this is the second set, right? And I just, like, I, I nearly drove off the road. I can't do I that. I couldn't I'm like, not that believe good. that like that was something that people knew about this stuff. But... Yeah, I'm not that good at all. I have to like, you know, read the internet and say like, what is the best? Like, I have to have people tell me, but 
but it is this fun thing that I've discovered and it, and it feels like, Oh my God, everyone's already known about this. Um, but I have like a, I do have like a deep love for like 60, 70 songwriters in general. Um, so I guess I come to it kind of naturally. I've been like on a Ted Lucas kick, mm. um, Alexander Spence, like Guy Clark, um, stuff like that. I'm really into, but then I can also go in the total opposite direction and I get really into weird, you know, like Alice Coltrane, um, kind of, uh, let's see what else, like jet, like seventies kind of Japanese, like droney noise type stuff. Um, so I can, I run the gamut a lot. Yeah. Um, any new projects coming up with, tandem like do you have anything on the horizon that people should be aware of well let's see i mean every summer we try to like kick it up a notch and come up with some new stuff and have new offerings so that's it's always fun to come in the summer when we're like you know really um like putting the pedal to the metal kind of um there's some really good coffees coming um uh in the next few weeks so that's exciting too um um, what else? I have a friend in town who makes amazing ice cream and we are kind of trying to collab on some ice cream cakes. Mm. So that's something to keep an eye out for, like, you know, small batch ice cream cakes that you could buy whole. Nice. Um, and then once the spring and summer hits, we try to do fun special events at the bakery, which is cool. I, I throw a, like a hot dog party, usually like try to do it like once a month um, where we like open up the doors after you know five or six and tons of picnic tables outside and we set up like a hot dog line like a short order hot dog cook kind of station um and make a few different really wild hot dogs usually also a corn dog um a bunch of fun sides and some kind of like big you know like large format dessert like you know trays and trays of trace like chase cake or something like that um and sometimes we have bands play for that so that's like a good um fun seasonal thing we try to do um which is great because it changes up the space a little bit and um it gets like a fun party vibe up in here awesome which is cool yeah rad well thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with me and to tell the carly simon story um, <laughs> oh my god sorry if i took up all your bandwidth no, with that no, no, no. I, I, listen that's that, that's the kind of stuff that uh, i love and i hope my listeners also love um yeah people, well i love talking to you so thanks for having me um people should check out tandemcoffee.com and they can follow you at brianna shino cherry on mm-hmm. instagram and <laughs> at tandem coffee roasters as well right yep exactly thanks for listening to feast your ears today you can find more about Brianna and Tandem online at tandemcoffee.com. Follow along on Instagram at Brianna Shino underscore Cherry and at Tandem Coffee Roasters. You should stop by when you go through that way. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week.
Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter and to your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.